Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. So today is Pentecost Sunday. Now, Pentecost is 50 days from the first day of Passover. Is this correct? Right. Fact checkers, we good? All the Bible students are checking me out here. And uh, so that's, that's awesome, and that's true. Now, I want to talk to you about the origins of this because it came as Moses was getting ready to rewrite the law. So God wrote it the first time. Remember that? The finger of God wrote it. Are, are you guys with me? Yeah. But now, what happened with Moses? Moses got mad at the people. He allowed the people to touch his spirit. Let me explain something to you. You can never allow the people that you're leading to lead you. You cannot allow people to touch your spirit. So what happens is he's upset at them for breaking the law. Remember that? His associate pastor, <laughs> his associate pastor Aaron, instead of telling the people, no, be quiet, we're not doing that, he helped make an idol for the people. How's that for an associate pastor? <laughs> How's that? Bless you. How's that for a yes man? You can never lead people you can't say no to. You cannot. This is why your children will be your parents unless you say no to them. That's why when my kids start doing meltdowns, which they do, I tell them that their tears and my feelings are not on the same server. I love you. I care about you. But you cannot manipulate me with tears. Because people will try to manipulate you, and church people will do that too. That's another thing with this whole tears thing. And I love tears, and I cry all the time, and God loves tears, and he bottles tears. But you have to see past that, and you have to understand if you're called to lead, you got to lead, not follow. So Moses, he, he, he begins to, the very thing he's mad at the people for doing, breaking the law, what does he do? He throws the law down and breaks it. It's, it's interesting. It's very easy to become what we hate. If you don't get healing, watch this. If you don't get healing, spiritual healing on the inside, you can become what you hate. He was driven by anger. Anger costs him his mansion in Egypt. He became, uh, a re you know, like a refugee. What did he flee? He fle fled a political <laughs> refugee because of murder. So it costs him his mansion and his palace and his position in Egypt. And then he goes and works for his father-in-law. How do you like them apples? You think your life is bad now? Imagine working for your father-in-law. Some of you would be a blessing, but some of you would not be a blessing. And, and, and so he's working for his father-in-law on the backside of a mountain, and he's tending sheep. He goes, I want you to feel this for a second. He goes from a prince where people wait on him day and night to then having to wait on sheep. You want to talk about the crushing of God? That doesn't fix it though. He doesn't, he doesn't get the message. So he has anger. Remember he, he responded to anger and justice? Remember the, the Egyptian? He killed the Egyptian who was messing with the Israelite? And then the, the Israelites rejected him too? <laughs> it's like, sometimes when God wants to do a work in your life, everyone will reject you until you deal with your thing. Sometimes you can be in a crowd crying out no one can hear you because God is dealing with you. 
But no, he refused to be dealt with by God. So then he said to go work for his father-in-law, still carried that spirit of anger and that spirit of injustice. Because when you experience injustice, the response to injustice is anger until you get healed. So you have to deal with that. So he doesn't deal with that. So now he's leading the people. He still has favor. He has position. He has power. He has influence. He has everything. He's got a, 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 an army of people with gold. He's got everything he needs, except he has not dealt with his anger. So then he goes up to the mountain and encounter with God won't fix it. People go, I just need an encounter with God. Oh, he had an encounter with God 40 days. He did not manage his own heart. So people have this idea, just a supernatural encounter, it's all you need. Well, Solomon had two and he still failed. What you actually need to do is steward your own heart. And a supernatural encounter helps that and initiates that, but you have to steward your own heart or you will always respond from a bitter place until you get healed. So he doesn't, he, so now he's upset at the people. The people touch his spirit. What does he do? He takes the law and he throws it down. That costs him, you know what that costs him? His mansion in the promised land. That's what happens when, if you can't steward yourself, you will never be able to steward the fullness of what God wants to give you. Stewardship does not start with money. Stewardship starts with your own heart. How you interact with money and everyone else has to do with how you interact with your own heart. So when I say stewardship, the first thing people think is money because that's the thing that has the tightest grip on most people is money. But it's really something different. It's really the heart. So he didn't deal with that. So now God takes him up on the mountain, Exodus 34. And this is where you're going to, this is where the beginning of what we know of as Pentecost. But it starts not as that. Uh, it starts as the Feast of Weeks. Now, I want to just, I can't read this all. There's so many scriptures today. And I do want to hostage you. I do. But I'm going to try to limit the hostage situation. Uh, unless Brother Eric stands up in the back. So, so then, anyway. All right, so now in Exodus 34, now uh, he begins to, in, in, his first thing is like, no other gods before me. That's always God's first thing is that he's first. So whether you're talking about your reactions, your responses, your desires, your finances, your sexuality, whatever it is, God wants to be first. If God is not first, then you cannot interact with the rest of reality correctly. This is a very, very important principle. If God is not first, when someone says something to me and I don't like it, then I want to give them Adam instead of Jesus. But Adam will not help anyone. In fact, Adam may actually hurt people. So you have to make a choice in that moment. Do I want to respond in my flesh out of ego, out of pain, or do I want to give them Jesus be merciful and try to seek to understand instead of seek to spit my venom out on someone. Right? Well, this is what he did. He, he got upset and he, he reacts instead of responds. So now God takes him up to the mountain. The first feast in verse 18 is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is directly after Passover. So God is like, I don't, I don't want you just to eat the Passover and run, but I also want you to spend seven days remembering that I took you out. So th th this is a very important principle that you have to understand. Now, the blood of Jesus, people go, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus protects you from demons, the blood of Jesus. No, the blood of Jesus does not protect you from demons, just so you know. The blood of Jesus protects you from the wrath of God, <laughs> from the angel of death 
who is coming for the firstborn. That, that's what the blood of Jesus protects you from, the wrath of God. It's the name of Jesus that gives you victory over demons, just so you know. Now, if you're casting out a demon and you say the blood of Jesus, the demon's going to go crazy because he hates the blood of Jesus. But, but that's, you know, that's just something to record. That's not really biblical doctrine. That's something for the v video footage. Now, I'm just being honest with you. So, okay. Now, so you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, and then it says this thing about all who open the womb, every male who is firstborn shall be holy to the Lord. So the Lord just doesn't want just your 10%, your, 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 your increase, this and that. The Lord also wants your legacy and your future. He wants your firstborn. The firstborn, I don't know if you know this, has a double portion. Did you know that? People are like, that's not fair. God is just. We're not talking about fair. God chooses what God chooses, not what I choose or what you want. Okay? So every firstborn, so then he goes into this. Now, this is what I want to, I want to start in verse 21, and then I want to kind of build from 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest in plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. I want you to say this with me. In plowing and in harvest you shall rest. Okay. So... Plowing a field is really difficult. If, if you go into agricultural societies where we will be, you will see where we're going in just tomorrow, there are people who are the plow. Never mind an oxen, you have oxen, but in India and Africa, certain places, you are looking at the plow. The plow is a 26-year-old woman who has nothing and lives in a shack and she has a little hoe and she, she breaks the fallow ground and she, she is the plow. So in plowing, which is actually strenuous and difficult in the middle of the hot sun, you shall rest. Now, harvest also is great work. People, a harvest is not, you know, we think of a harvest, oh, I, I got a, you know, I got a PayPal, oh, I got a check, I got a bonus, and, and it just, boom, it appears in, in, in your uh, account, which is really beautiful, and God bless that harvest, but this harvest is an agricultural harvest that requires great work. So, so you have to plow, this is the process of the kingdom, you have to break up fallow ground so your seed falls on good ground. The, the, the kingdom principle of that is you have to break up the fallow ground in your heart so that the seeds that God sows into your life produces life. You do, God does not determine who you become in the kingdom. God has planted the seed of Jesus in you. You determine how Christ-like you're going to become based upon how you steward the soil of your own heart. The problem is not the seed. The problem is the soil. The sower sows the seed everywhere. The seed is the life of the Son of God. He came into the earth. He was split open in the middle of the earth, just like the seed has to die, has to be split open, has to be poured out in the darkness, in the ground, so that light can hit it, so rain can hit it, so over the due process of time, it produces through seed time, and then it produces a harvest. But so there's seed, but before there's seed, you have to break up the fallow ground. This is important in your life. You have, to, you have to, breaking up the fallow ground is the confession of sin. Breaking up the fallow ground is actually telling someone, actually, I was wrong. Apologize for that. Sorry about that. Uh, that not just saying I was wrong. Everyone knows you were wrong when you're wrong. Everyone knows when I'm wrong when I'm wrong. So you might as well just say you were wrong. You know, saying you were wrong actually builds trust. When you don't say you're wrong, it actually causes people to go, mm, 
I love you, but I can't trust you because you're not being honest. You're not being forthright. And the Bible calls us to love everyone. The Bible does not call us to trust everyone. I will only trust you as much as your integrity will permit me to trust you. I can only trust you as good as you are on your word. I can't trust you anymore. Because the Bible does not tell me to trust untrustworthy people. So whether you're plowing or whether you're receiving a harvest, you have to learn how to rest. This is a very critical principle for lasting. If you don't learn to rest, you will not last. If, if you look at the nation of China, the nation of China is a huge nation with a, a tremendous workforce, but their land cannot produce because it was not rested. There's a very, very vast amount of their land that cannot produce a harvest because it was not rested. When you go to the Dominican Republic, the Dominican Republic is green, it is fertile, the aerial view is different than Haiti. You know why? Because the French raped Haiti. Agriculturally speaking, so it does not produce, it cannot produce at the same level. So when you want, if you want to think about longevity, you have to think about pace and rhythm. We were talking about this with some of the men the other day. We're talking about Bill Gates made a comment on something that he regrets. And the comment was basically like, I would have valued people more. Like I would have spent more time with my wife and family. So follow this idea. He has obviously a billionaire status, billionaire potential. He's obviously a really intelligent guy. But he's also a type A driver, and type A drivers tend to drive people away. That's part of the, the, part of the challenge of being excellent or great. Like everybody likes Jordan, everybody loves his sneakers, but you wouldn't like to be on his team because he'd be like, why are you late? Why, why are you coming here hungover? Why are you sloppy? Like, you know, in, in the 92 Olympics, the whole team walks in. 92 Olympics, the whole team walks in, they walk in. Jordan has been there one hour. He's already warmed up when everyone walks in. That's why he's the captain of the team. So, so now Bill Gates is a type A driver, and he has incredible potential. So if he would have went, let's say, a little bit slower, let's say he would have got where he was going at 46 instead of 36, he wouldn't have destroyed his marriage, and he wouldn't have pushed great people away from him. But when you're trying to go too far too fast, what you do is you damage people and you damage yourself. Let's just think for a minute, how much money did his divorce cost him? His divorce cost him more money than if he would have went slower. Now his, his wife, she's one of the greatest philanthropists have ever lived with his money because she deserves his money because he screwed her up by an incessant need for more. An incessant need. He could, he was already worth billions. You know, we're not talking about a guy who's homeless, you know, he's really struggling. If he just would have went just a little bit slower, a little bit more kind, a little bit more patient, a little bit more gentle, he would have had probably 50 or 60 billion dollars more in his pocket right now. So the idea of fast you're going to lose trying to go fast. You will lose more trying to go fast than pacing yourself and going the Lord's pace. 
And the pace of grace also requires rest. This is a very important principle. We're going to start our trip off in Haiti with rest. We're going to work from rest. People go, how can you do that? Watch me do that. I'm going to take pictures. You can see it. It's going to be tremendous. We actually even have a little Starlink satellite. So we're going to have good internet. We're, because if you don't learn to pace yourself, you won't last. Okay, I'm going to get out of this. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall uh, rest in plowing and in harvest. So the season doesn't take away the principle. The principle trumps the season. You don't know what I got to do. You don't know how busy I am. Yeah, I know that you're going to hurt yourself. And I care about you enough to say, don't do that. Because you know who suffers the most if you hurt yourself? The people that love you the most. Okay. And you shall observe the feast of weeks of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the years and three times in the year your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders, neither will... Any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord three times a year. God says, listen, if you would appear before me three times a year, I will watch your back at home. If you will put me first, I will watch your back at home. I will watch out for you if you put me first. Three times a year, your men shall appear before me. If men do not have God at the forefront of their mind, they will destroy what is theirs. Not women, men. These are the ones who are responsible. You know that. I hate to say that in such a soft society, a feminized society, but God says your men shall appear before me three times a year. I will drive out your enemies I will enlarge your borders, and I, New Jersey translation, will watch your back when you put me first. When you appear before me, no one will touch your land. What happens when the man leaves is the family is extra vulnerable. You saw that when David lost two of his wives and his family in Ziklag. All the men were out of the city. People came in and took the city. But these are appointed feasts. There is a purpose beyond this. And God says, if you will pursue me, I will watch out for you. If I don't believe that God is going to watch my back, why would I represent someone that I don't believe has my back? How can I care for you if I don't believe he cares for me? How can I be generous if I'm cheap? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to give you no junk I don't have no junk <laughs> anyway that was free so now fire from heaven is going to come this is what happened in Pentecost fire from heaven came and burned up Job's sheep and his servants remember that God was teaching the devil a lesson through Job you know, what, you know what Job had after his testing that he didn't have before his testing? This thing called integrity. We don't know the integrity of something until it's been tested. And you know what God tests things by? Fire. 
All of the works that we do, Paul says, will be tested by fire. God will put everything I've done and everything I've said through fire to see, is it pure? If it's not pure, it won't last. It'll be wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned up, and it won't amount to anything. But you know, when you're building for the age to come, the things that pass through the fire, they wind up in eternity. God said in Acts 10 that your, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial, as a reminder before the God who doesn't forget. So, so when you do something with a pure motive, it appears in eternity. Pastor Jason Alvarez, our first pastor, said, only what you do for Jesus counts for eternity. Only what you do for Jesus. Jesus is the motive. If people are the motive, here's what happens. When the people don't respond the way you want them to respond, or the way you need them to respond, you get bitter and disillusioned. But I'm not here for people. I'm here for Jesus. People is the expression. So that was one thing. So that, that was the fire of testing that Job endured. Sometimes stuff happens. He didn't do anything wrong. Job wasn't doing anything crazy. But what he was, what he was afraid of came upon him. And there's a lesson there that many times the very thing that you're afraid of will come upon you. So deal with your fear. I'd rather have the fear of the Lord than the fear of the Lord come upon me. <laughs> so anyway. Okay. Now. Fire from heaven destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Jesus actually referenced that. And he actually interprets Lot's wife. Remember when Lot's wife looked back? The interpretation that Jesus gave for that action was that he who seeks to save his life will lose it. So you always look at what matters to you. Yeah? She, was, she, she couldn't leave the past behind, so she was stuck there. She, she turned to a pillar of salt. And God did not send an apology letter to Lot. So the wife and the husband will be judged separately. So if you're a wife, you better seek God yourself. And if you're a husband, you better seek God yourself. Because your wife or your mommy is not going to stand before God when you give an account. Your wife cannot fulfill your calling. But you can support her in hers and she can support you in yours. But you have, you have a calling. Just so you know. It's not just her or you. It's... And the beauty of it, this is really something crazy to think about, that in the age to come, we're not married nor given in marriage, yet our children pass through that and are ours forever. So what we create together is even bigger than us. That's the principle there. So that's free. But anyway, now, fire from heaven, this is a real story. This is another story. I'm showing you all the fires from heaven. Have you ever heard Jason Upton? Fire from heaven. You know that song? Am I dating myself? Redeeming presence. Anyway, Jason, you should look at that song. It's powerful. It's prophetic. So this is when fire came from heaven. We're, we're going through. We're going to run through this quick. Fire from heaven came on Nadab. You know what Nadab's me, name means? He was one of Aaron's sons. It means to stir voluntary decisions. One who distributes according to his own will. So, so they're Aaron's sons, and what do they do? They create strange fire. Do you remember that? Are you guys? Leviticus. Leviticus 10. Each took a censer and put fire in it and offered profane fire before the uh, Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses 
said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, But those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and be, uh, before all the people I must be glorified. Now, when Jesus taught us to pray, the first thing he taught is not God is loving, God is full of grace, you're so great, you're amazing, and you're beautiful. He said, our Father in heaven, our Father, not my Father, which means how I treat you matters, and how you treat me matters, and how we treat each other matters. So when we pray, it's, it's in the context of us, not me. So you can't be speaking evil of people and think the Father is good with that. How long do you think you can speak evil of my children and think we're going to be cool? We're not going to be cool. Yeah, it's not going to be cool. I'll forgive you. I'll bless you. But yeah. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed. Revered. A name above every other name. A name in a league totally of its own. Completely high above and set apart. Hallowed be thy name. We, sometimes in our modern culture, with all the grace and all the cuteness, we lose hallowed be thy name. God is holy. God is not your homeboy. God is not your friend. God is holy first. God is father first. God is Father first, hallowed second. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You never, you never disconnect hallowed and Father, Father and hallowed. You cannot disconnect those ideas. We want to disconnect those ideas because we want a grandfather in the sky who's on volume that gives us candy. But that's not our Father in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. We must approach God with reverence and with the fear of the Lord and with respect. You cannot think you're going to receive from God if you don't respect Him. If you go into a court and you try to act stupid and crazy with the judge, like, oh, what's up, ghetto and stuff like that with a big suit, you're going to go to jail. You're going to go to jail. You can't, you can't, you have to have respect. You don't go into a doctor's office and be like, yo, what's good, man? Hi, doc, how you doing? Yeah, his, because his life, your life is in his hands. You, there has to be like respect with God. I'm just saying because we live in a culture that it, we lost that. And as the church, we have to have the fear of the Lord and reverence for God and honor for God. So this is so that fire consumes them. And listen, what, what, listen, listen to the God who comforts all those who mourn. Listen to what he says in verse 6. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithmar and his sons, Do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die. And wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting lest you die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And they did according to the word of Moses. He says to Aaron, you cannot even mourn the death of your sons because what God did is righteous and holy. God also told Ezekiel that when Ezekiel's wife died. Remember that? God said to Ezekiel, do not cry. Because you lost the desire of your eyes. You know what happens when we lose the desire of our eyes? Have you ever had your dream shattered? Or just me? It's like, it's like PhD and shattered. And, and guess what happens? Your eyes leak. Did you notice that? 
It's like a little kid. You don't get, he doesn't get what he wants. And, 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 and he says, no, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. What they received was just. It's hard to, it's not easy to say that. But they, what they did is they offered strange fire. You know how God responded? With real fire. God has a real humor. A sense of great humor. Not easy to deal with. Uh, but it's really, oh, you want to offer strange fire? No problem. I'm going to send real fire. And I'm going to consume this. Because you have these self-willed people that want to do what they want to do. And I'm going to cut that off immediately. Because the priesthood cannot be self-willed people. They have to be dead. To serve the purposes of God in your generation, you have to die. You have to die so that you can live. And that's not God being harsh. It's God setting a standard that is holy. This was Aaron's sons. Can I say something to you? Do you know Aaron's sons? Do you know that they would have inherited the priestly garments? Do you know they were next in line? Don't ever force your way in line. Don't ever force your way. In the kingdom, we don't force our way. When people want to, I want to join this, I want to do that, I want to be here, I want to do... When they, I'm like, okay, hold on. No, no, no. That was the one thing that really impressed me about Isaac and Deborah when they came. They were here for a long time before the Lord is the one who showed me that they did worship. They didn't, they didn't come in here like, hi, I can sing, hi. Deborah wasn't like, hi, I got 30,000 views on my video on uh, YouTube. <laughs> nice to meet you. Don't force your way. God will call you forward. I had to learn that the hard way, so I'm not judging anyone. Some of us are forcers. They wanted to force their way. All they had to do is wait, and they would have ministered in the sanctuary. They couldn't wait. Are you, I don't know if you're getting this. Do, these are guys that were going to stand and were called as the sons of Aaron to minister before the Lord. But they did it in their way, on their terms, and their timing, and they were judged by it. Do not do that. Have a willing heart, but don't offer strange fire because God may respond with real fire. <laughs> so now, next one. Last week we were talking about greatest, David's greatest sin wasn't lust. It was a lack of trust. Remember that? The census? So then David repents. He buys a little field and eventually the temple goes there. And, and so he builds an altar and God sends fire on that altar and consumes that sacrifice. Remember that? And the plague stopped. Solomon dedicates the temple to the Lord on the very same land that his father bought. Where, where David built an altar, Solomon built a temple. This is the increase of generations. I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're tracking uh, with me in that, but God wants to bring increase to our generations so that we can serve the Lord and so that our children can serve the Lord and so that we can be a part of the purposes of God. I don't know if you see the interconnectedness with the generations. Do you know that the, the well that Jacob gave the Samaritans is also the place where the Samaritans encountered Jesus? So there's a, there's a multi-generational connection 
to a yes. So anyway, fire comes from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, the glory of God fills the temple, and none of the priests can minister because of the glory of God. You remember that? Okay. Two more times that fire fell from heaven. They come to get Elijah. They're, they're like, they're coming for him. And Elijah calls fire out of heaven on 50 soldiers and they get totally nuked. Boom. Fire. They're coming for him. He calls fire on them. They get fire. Boom. They burn. 50 more guys come for him. He calls fire out of heaven. Those 50 burn. The third group that comes to him are like, hey, uh, have mercy on us. You know, they come smart. <laughs> you know. So anyway, that was, that was another time that fire came from heaven. And the final fire from heaven that falls in the Old Testament, you remember this? Is when Elijah confronts the false prophets of Baal. You guys remember that? Elijah is, is, a, is standing against 450 men. Are you with me? One guy against 450. You are always the majority when you're standing for God. So, they build altars, and uh, Elijah basically, he sets, the, he sets the tone, not them. When you are the believer, you set the tone. It's on your terms, not their terms. He goes, this is what we're going to do. He's leading, not following. If you're led by the Spirit, you're the one leading, not following. Following Jesus, then people should be following you. Not being followed and living in reaction to everyone else. So now he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to build altars. And the God that responds by fire, he's God and he's the one that we're going to serve. He says this to them. How long will you falter between two opinions? Let's just prove this thing now and then we'll respond to the real God, right? So the, the, the prophets of Baal, they're like calling on their God. Nothing's happening. They start cutting themselves, doing all types of weird stuff. Nothing's happening. So Elijah starts mocking them. Oh, your God is sleeping. Oh, he must be tired. And, you know, he starts messing with them. Which you know that he's confident in God because he's messing with them. Which means he knows that he serves a God who delivers. So he calls fire out of heaven. The fire comes. Now, remember he soaked. Do you remember he soaked the altar? The altar must be soaked. Intercession and tears. When, when Tina starts praying, she starts crying. She does the Heidi Baker tears. Because when your heart is attached to people and you love people, there's intercession there. Do you remember that? So the altar must be soaked. Don't focus on a platform, soak an altar. Soak the altar. We have a generation that wants to build platforms. We got folks on YouTube, they don't know if they're coming, they're going. They're trying to scare the hell out of you on YouTube about the end of the world. I'm sorry to say it that way. They don't know what they're doing, they don't know coming, they're going. And how about you soak an altar? So anyway, anyone who's trying to scare you doesn't know what they're saying. Anyway, so there's that. And actually, God actually wants to actually really scare the hell out of us. I didn't say that by accident. He, like literally, he wants the hell and the fear out. So that you can walk in perfect love, which doesn't have fear attached to it. 
You cannot really love people you're afraid of. You cannot really minister to people you're afraid of. I love you, but I'm not afraid of you. I'm here to represent the Lord and try to do it faithfully. Do I always get it right? No, but I'm not here to please you. If I'm here to please you, I can't lead you. And I cannot be faithful to the text because the text does not please you or me. <laughs> the Bible doesn't go, oh, well, okay, pastor, you got to pass. The, the word calls me to the line first. And then the word says, oh, you're going to have a double line. Don't worry. You're going to have a double. You're going to be judged doubly strict. No pressure. It's like, awesome. You know. Anyway, so he calls fire out of heaven. And, you know, fire comes. And he, he reveals that he's the true God. Now, this is a principle here. No flesh on the altar, no fire. No flesh, no fire. <laughs> there has to be flesh on the altar. No fire, no fragrance. No fragrance, no glory. The aroma that rises to God should be an acceptable sacrifice but there has to be flesh on the altar. Something's got to die. In other words, for certain things to rise in your life, other things have to die in your life. Like for love to grow, lust has to die. Like, for, you, you, get, you, know, you understand the principle, right? I'm not going to have to go on and on about that. Now, when Israel rebuilt the temple, after the three waves of the captives were freed, Israel went into captivity, because idolatry always leads to captivity. Are you guys with me? Okay, so then what's really sad about that is they, they rebuild the temple, which takes effort and money and manpower and, you know, and sweat. Like it's not the temple didn't build itself, you know. They rebuild the temple out of a sincere heart, but the fire never falls again. You know, I, I, I want to be honest with you. Honest with you, that, that's really disappointing. You know, imagine you, you know, you give to something, you sweat for something, you believe in something, and you really, like, you have sincerity in your heart, and you're believing that there'll be presence and fire, and that, and that God will, will be there, but, like, it doesn't happen. That's really disappointing. And, and, you know, how you handle disappointment in your life is one of the things that really determines the trajectory of your life in God because disappointments happen. Hope doesn't disappoint you. What disappoints you is false expectations. <laughs> that's another story. Uh, but, so that, that's, that's something. But now, so this is really rough because, like, they had given everything for this. And, and you see that this happens because, remember when Zach, Zach, Zacchaeus, no, Zachariah, excuse me, Zachariah, remember when he's ministering in the temple and the angel comes to him? You know what that means? God doesn't live there. God speaks from the Shekinah. God speaks from the mercy seat. God doesn't live there anymore. That's why the angel was stirring the waters outside of the temple. God was not there. But yet, Zacharias was faithful to do his responsibility and God showed up for him. 
That's a real lesson in faithfulness. Imagine going to church, God is not there, but God says, you go there. And then God sends an angel there, and the thing that he's wanted his whole life, God delivers to him because he's faithful. A priest would only burn incense once, once in his life. He was ready for his moment. He didn't give up. He didn't let the, the non-excitement of it keep him from his post. You always have to play your position. God shows up. But anyway, the reason God shows up in, in the form, through, through the angel, through the message, is because God's not there. It's painful. Imagine church without God. Some people do it every Sunday. When an apostle from China came to a mega church in Texas, you know what he said to them? He looked at this church and goes, oh my God, you can do a lot of stuff without God here. <laughs> Jesus said this in John, and this we're, this we're going we're gonna to land in a few minutes. There's no real way to land this ship. We're just going to crash this plane right into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. There's no way, like, how do you end preaching? I, I don't want to end preaching. I just want to <laughs> preach. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, anyway. All right. So now, in John 16, Jesus says this profound thing. I'll start in verse 5. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me, and now, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged already. Is not shall be, is. When God says something, it is. So this is something. Jesus says it is to your advantage. The King James says it is expedient that I go away. And there's so many interesting uh, meanings of it. But it is to your profit that I go away. One of the words that he uses is also like the word collect. Do you have any collections? you collect anything? Like, it, is, it will give you an advantage that I'm leaving. I mean, that sounds, I mean, to me, I hear that. I'm like, good news, advantage. Like, yeah, we're going to win. Oh. Yeah, because, you know, you cannot win in your own flesh. You cannot be profitable spiritually in your own strength. You cannot even have a relationship with yourself correctly without the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a relationship to your spouse outside of the love of God and the patience of God. You cannot have a relationship with God without God. So the Holy Spirit coming changes everything. It's not just fire for a church service so you can speak in tongues and then speak bitterness later. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not just, oh, we had a great service, we sang. Oh, that was amazing. I love worship. Great, it wasn't for you anyway. It was for Jesus. Oh, I didn't like that song. Don't worry about it. It's not for you. It's for Jesus. So the Holy Spirit coming to live on us, in us, through us, God giving us His very best, which is His own life. 
not things. We, we, have, we can be so preoccupied with temporal things that we value temporal things more than God because we believe that God can give us himself but not temporal things. <laughs> That's why many people will not serve God because they don't trust him to deliver for them in real life. Mammon is the thing that stopped the rich young ruler, not the devil. All the possessions that he had, he was possessed by, which means he could not follow because he was stuck with what he had. This is, this is the Bible. I'm not making this up. God says, okay, don't worry, guys. I know you can't do this on your own. No pressure. It's like, I'll come and live on the inside of you, and I will help you, and I will be the helper. But guess what? You know what that means? You need help. <laughs> God says, no pressure. I'm the counselor. You need counsel. I'm the helper. You need help. I am the everlasting father. I know you got some daddy issues. No pressure. Father's coming to live on the inside. And that, that really helped because without a dad... You, you don't have a sense of identity. You, there's a struggle there because that's what, that's what fathers give. The voice of the father should be the voice in the ears of the children that said, yes, I can. Yes, we will. That, that, that's supposed to reinforce the idea of God as father, not deface it. So it is to your advantage... That I go. God wants to give you an advantage. I know that's a bad word. It almost sounds like privilege. <laughs> I know. But he wants to give you favor. And God, more than all of that stuff, wants to be with you. Wants to be with you. He wants to live with you. Which is the greatest because if you have him, you have everything, because he doesn't come not fully loaded. It's like, God, it's not like, okay, Jesus moved in. He's like, no power windows. Like, he is fully loaded. Holy Spirit comes overflowing blessing and goodness and mercy and the power to change and the power to confront in yourself what you're afraid to acknowledge and deal with. Isn't that good? We got help from the inside, which means we don't have to pretend. Man, that's good. He's like, oh, oh, yeah, I know you need help. No, I get it. I'm sending the helper. <laughs> it's like, thank you. Now, you know that the fire never falls in the Old Testament again. Remember that? Never fell. But what does Jesus say? There's a baptism that John spoke about. A baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. Which, there's also a cup of fire, and that's another thing too. We don't want to talk about that. That's a cup of suffering. And that's not suffering because you're crazy or you married the wrong person six times. 
but but you know this is this is suffering for righteousness sake I've, I've suffered as a result of stupid I have I'm serious suffering for stupid is not suffering for righteousness sake when you suffer for righteousness sake there is a reward when you suffer from stupid. Hopefully, hopefully, you know, you know, hopefully there's a lesson, you know, that you don't have to do that lesson again. Some people like to do the lesson again. Some of us are extra. But that's okay. God says, no problem. We'll go back around the mountain. I've got forever. You don't, but he does. <laughs> so anyway, so in Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, which is 50 days after the first day of Passover. So, so Pentecost isn't free. Pentecost is when they would bring the, the, the first fruit offering. Now, if you're old school, who's old school? Who grew up in church? If I say first fruit offering, people, people, people put their hand on their pocket. They go like, put their checkbook away. I forgot my checkbook. Back in the day, people used to forget the checkbook in the car. Now we're like, we got Zell, we got this, we got that. You, you, can't, you can't run away. Ah! You know, but, but a first fruits offering was you're starting to get a harvest and you're giving God first. So there's, there's a level of expectation that is attached to that. This is the thing that sometimes when you don't understand some of the truths that were rooted in an agricultural society, you can miss some of the principles behind it. This was not a matter of budget. This was a matter of honor and expectation. This was not a, a, a matter of how much am I going to save this week? How much am I going to spend on me this week? How this, was, this was not a, a thing of budget so much as it was a thing of faith. That's why, like, let's say I forget to tithe and then I double up next week. Well, that's good that you're being faithful and that's great. But that actually misses the point of what it is. So you have certain people, people like with tithing, you have, you have like the Friday afternoon tithers. That's like me. Like as soon as I get the money, I want to give it away. Boom. So I know what, what, what are we working with, but I want to honor the Lord first. So you have those people. Then you got the forgetful people. Two weeks later, you know, you, you see everything come through. You go, okay, there's that. You got those, they're faithful too, but that, that's not the same principle. But if you get paid every two weeks, it's different, so I understand. But the, the point of the matter is that this giving of the first is a, it's rooted in a grateful expectation that because we have and we're honoring God, more is coming. This is, that's the principle. So that's actually what Pentecost was actually rooted in. It was the fulfillment of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks. Are you with me? So the Holy Spirit came as the harvest for harvesters. <laughs> so in Acts 2, it wasn't the harvest, it was the harvesters. That's like us right now. Not the harvest, the harvest is not here, the harvesters are starting to be here. That's not the same thing. So... This is an important principle. 
So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. And the whole house were, uh, were filled where they were sitting. And they appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now you have the, the fire of God on the people of God. This is the next time fire comes out of heaven. And it's not on a lamb. But it is on the acceptable sacrifice of God's people who have stuck around. Pentecost was a shrinking prayer meeting. It was a 10 day long prayer meeting that started with about 500 people and it dwindled down to about 120 including the women. It was not in a huge mega church. It was in a house on Zion which is a little hill. It's not even that pretty. It's dry actually. And so anyway... God shows up in this place for people who have pressed in, for people who have been persistent, for people who stuck around. Are you with me? So now fire is coming, and where does it rest upon the what? Come on, you got all you preachers here, someone on the heads. Right? And then it, the Spirit gives them utterance, and then they're speaking out of their what? Mouth. So the fire of God has to touch your mind so you change what comes out of your mouth. That's a very important principle. Watch your mouth. You may just get what you say. You may not. <laughs> you know, But you actually may actually eat one day the fruit of your lips. And it may not taste as pleasant as you like it to taste unless you allow the Lord to renew your mind and you give yourself to the renewing of your mind because your mind needs to be renewed. So now the Holy Spirit has came upon the people. The fire of God has fell out of heaven onto acceptable sacrifice on the day of Pentecost, which is the fulfillment of the Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, which is the first fruits of the harvest. Do you know who the harvest is to God? The harvest to God is not a check. The harvest to God is you. You know what God is after? You. You know what God is after? Me. We can be after every other thing in the world. God is after you. This is why some people, I don't think some people value their life. I really mean that. I honestly mean that. I'm not trying to sound like a jerk or to sound jerky. But I really believe some people do not know how valuable they are. Why would I allow things that are temporal... To destroy me if God says that I am worth more than those things. Do you understand what I'm saying? John Maxwell says that people spend the first half of their life getting money and the second half of their life spending their money to try to get their life back. 
It's like, it's like, you, you, all right, so what am I saying? I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying don't go hard. But I'm saying that you are more valuable than what you have. Do I want you to have valuable things? Yes, but not at the expense of you. You have to think about at what point is this worth your life? Like you are worth more than anything you have. In fact, when you die, the people that actually love you don't, probably don't even care so much as what you have, but they'll miss you. For those of us who have lost parents or siblings, or people that we really love, we're not thinking about how much they had, but we're thinking about them. When you're getting ready to die, people don't come and pile all your sneakers on you and all your watches on you and all your you know, clothes on you. They, don't, they, they come around your bed because they know that life is a vapor. And in a moment, someone is gone, and that's it. They're not coming back. They're either with the Lord or with the devil. <laughs> so anyway, sorry to say that so, so honestly there. But uh, that's the reality. So now I, I just want to finish this in, in just a minute or two. But the, Jesus gave us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that we would live aware of Him. Are, are you with me? Because... What you're aware of Okay. Have you ever seen someone they're driving a car and they're not aware of something and they hit something. So that that's so you whatever you're aware of or not aware of can be an issue. That's why when, when people are not self-aware, they can hurt people and they hurt themselves because they're not self-aware. Christians can be the most unself-aware people you have ever met and with good intentions. You know, and, and it's not helpful. Situation awareness. I said this before to you. It costs Carl Malone a championship. Remember that? Game Game six. Carl Malone is dribbling the ball. Jordan reaches from behind him. Boom! Hits the ball out of his hand. Takes the ball up the court. Does a little oop! Shot. Remember the shot? The shot. The shot happened because of the steal. And the steal happened because of a lack of situational awareness that cost Carl Malone a championship. And John Stockton. And the rest of them, they could have won if they would have held on to the ball just a few seconds more. Just a few seconds more of holding on. They could have, that's how dangerous in the natural, if you're not situationally aware, it can cost you something. So anyway, the Holy Spirit wants to make us aware of Him. So when I, when I live, when we live holy or not holy, we're either offending God or we're living lives that are conducive to God being comfortable living with us. When you, when you have guests over, you know, you clean up. When people come to our house, I said it was disgusting 20 minutes ago. Now it's, you know, it's great. 
But I promise you we don't live like this because in 20 minutes after you leave, the kids are going to tear the whole place up. And we don't even, I'm going to tell you something. Some of we don't even know you're saved until you step on Legos. <laughs> Wait till you start running down the stairs. And if you're heavy, it's worse. You, and you step on a Lego, we'll see. We'll see the salvation. <laughs> so, so I'm messing with you. But, but the Holy Spirit wants to make us aware of him. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. So in, 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 in not only do I not want to destroy my wife or mess my children up, even more than that, there's Holy Spirit. And I don't want to grieve Holy Spirit. Because without Holy Spirit, I am in trouble. And I will make trouble. <laughs> without Holy Spirit. That's true. So now, he helps me to be aware of him. Which helps me be aware of me. Which helps me love her. Do I always get it correctly? No, I don't. But that's not the point. What's the point? The point is when the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us, He wants to make us aware of Him so that we live differently. Okay. According to Jesus, it is to our advantage that He has come. Finally, we cannot have a powerful relationship with God, ourselves, and others outside of having the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. I want you to just take this in and realize that we cannot live the Christian life in our own strength. I cannot do it. You cannot do it. We cannot will it. We cannot be it, manifest it, or do anything about it. We need Him, which makes us dependent. You know what that should make us? Humble. You know, you know humble people? They're happy. You never meet humble people that are bitter. Pride makes someone bitter. Pride leads to a fall. Pride has people feeling entitled. Pride thinks that everyone owes you, you know, some sort of special treatment like because you are something. Humility seeks to love. Humility seeks peace. Humility is happy. It's easy to hang out with humble people. Humble people are not contentious. Humble people do not start fights. Humble people end fights. Humble people are not like, oh, they don't understand me. No one understands. Humble people seek to understand others. Jesus humbled himself to the death of a cross, became obedient. Humility will make you obedient. That's why you can't hide humility. I want to just ask you to stand for a minute. And now we're actually going to close. This is the real closing. If we pretend, not pretend in a fake way, but prophetically speaking, this, this little plot of beautiful land in West New York here, in the double wide storefront hood church right here. If this is the altar, and this is the place of flesh, 
of flesh dying. I want to ask you to come forward if it's in your heart to serve the Lord in your generation. Just come forward. Just come forward. We're going to stand together. That's all right. That's all right. No, no, leave it. We're going to stand together. Nobody's going to lay hands on you. Nobody. That's all good, but not today. Today, we're going to present ourselves to the Lord with a quiet yes. Not with yelling, not with excitement, not with rah, but we're going to present ourselves to the Lord. Okay? All right. So, Lord, we humble ourselves, God, before you. And we know that you pour out your spirit on all flesh. And so, Lord, we present ourselves to you in the sincerest way that we know how, God. We humble ourselves, Lord, before you. We acknowledge our need for you. We also acknowledge our need for one another. To be kind, tender, forgiving. And Lord, we ask you to pour out your spirit in a fresh way. That we would serve you faithfully in our generation. And we ask that you would pour your fire out on your church once again, God. We ask you that things in our life that need to die would die. And things that in our life that need to rise would rise. God, we pray that we would lose our life so that we could find it in you. And I ask that you would help us to love each other and support each other as we step forward to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.